Hello and welcome to the CGF Sustainability Podcast Series. My name is Louise Chester and I work in the communications team at the Consumer Goods Forum. In this series, we take a deep dive into all things sustainability, from forced labor to plastics, deforestation, food waste and refrigeration. Today, I'm joined by Justin Adams, Executive Director at the Tropical Forest Alliance. For some time now, Justin has been a key partner for us at the CGF as we work together to build a forest positive future. I'm looking forward to getting his insights. Hello, Justin. Thank you very much for joining me today on on the CGF podcast. How are you? I'm great, Louise. Nice to be talking to you. How are you? I'm I'm very well, thank you, yes. Um, So I was thinking we could get started with a little bit of an overview on the Tropical Forest Alliance. I'd love to hear from you a bit more about your mission and and the current projects of the TFA. Great. Well, the TFA was founded in 2012 initially to support the Consumer Goods Forum with their deforestation commitments. It's grown to be a much larger multi-stakeholder platform, so, so more than 160 members, companies, governments, and civil society actors, all working committed to uh, reducing uh, commodity-driven deforestation. And so that means we work very closely with companies working on their uh, own supply chains, uh, but we work with governments who are working in Europe on regulation about imported deforestation. We work with governments in the forest countries themselves. Uh, We work with the other civil society actors and really try and bring Um, all of those players together to increasingly what we talk about is catalyze collective action because we believe it's the only way we're going to make progress. Super. So you mentioned there that you've been working very closely with the CGF um, for for quite some time and you personally have been really involved with the creation of our Forest Positive Coalition of Action, which we will be officially launching in the coming months. So watch this space. So why, in your opinion, is this coalition important for our shared agenda? And do you honestly think that it is going to change things moving forwards? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see this group of currently 17 deeply committed companies, both retailers and manufacturers from across the, the Consumer Goods Forum, say that this is a super high priority. It's mainly, or I think in all cases, the companies who've already been doing a lot, but how can we really push forward? How can they be pushing forward their actions they're already taking, both in their supply chains, as well as beyond their supply chains, to drive more action on deforestation? And that's why uh, I'm excited. I think for the much of the last decade, there's been an assumption that all of CGF was working. The CGF made this commitment in 2010. Mm-hmm. So all 450 members of CGF was 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 then committed to and making progress yeah. on deforestation. Now we've got a group of the leaders who are really laying out what they're going to do. And importantly, and I think this will be the make or break for this coalition of action, is laying out how are we going to measure progress? What are we setting out to do? What are the KPIs? Because for the last decade, again, that hasn't been there. So certain you know, companies were taking certain action, but, but NGOs and others were taking different interpretations of what the commitment made. Now there will be a clear sense of this is what the companies are doing. This is how they can lean in and really drive more action. This is how they can work with others. Uh, and I, I genuinely believe this is how 
uh, not just with CGF, but up and down the supply chains with traders, with producers, with government. That's how we're going to make more progress by working with the leaders uh, in the next few years and accelerating what's already happening. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So you've already started to touch upon this idea of collective action and just how important that, that is to the agenda. I just wanted to dive in a little bit further to that. So we know within our industry that we play a huge role in tackling this problem, but that, that we can't actually tackle the challenge alone. So why, why is that collective um, work be between the industry and the NGO community and governments so, so important in moving things, driving things along? Well, I, I think, again, this last decade has been characterized by you know, uh, putting a lot of pressure on individual companies to clean up their own individual supply chains. And so some of the companies, you know, some of the leaders within the CGF and, and, and others have made real progress in cleaning up their, uh, their supply chains. Um, but even where that's happened, we know that deforestation is still occurring in many of the landscapes from which these commodities are coming from. And that the, the companies cleaning up their own supply chain doesn't stop leakage of product going to China or doesn't stop leakage of, of product going into other markets. And so we've got to look at the broader set of issues that have driven deforestation in landscapes that are still incredibly important and strategic, long-term strategic sources of supply for, uh, for, for the consumer goods companies. And we need to then make more progress, but how are we gonna do that? How do we bring uh, government action together with private sector action so we can genuinely have public-private partnership? That's what we mean by collective action or how can we get NGOs aligning with in in lots of cases we start talking now about jurisdictional or landscape level programs mm -hmm. again really important programs on yeah Riau in Indonesia is is the biggest palm production state or province uh, in the world there are NGOs now working with producers and consumer companies and traders around those landscapes. How do we involve communities? How do we involve the local governments um, uh, and the private sector to actually advance what sustainable palm oil or sustainable pulp and paper production looks like in that landscape? And how can we ensure livelihoods, but also uh, ensure production and ensure the forest is standing? If we can see more landscapes like that in the future, that's how we're going to make more progress. Uh, but it's not either or. The pressure still needs to be on the companies for their own supply chains, but the mm. recognition is there. It's got to be beyond the supply chain as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's very encouraging to hear that more and more of these conversations are, are actually happening and, and progress is being made as a result. So... Um, you and I, Justin, we're currently recording this podcast from our respective homes in different countries via Zoom because we're, we're both in lockdown with the, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic that the world is currently grappling with. Um, there has obviously been more and more talk in the scientific community and it's been heavily, well, it's starting to be reported more in the press about this link between habitat loss and the rise of, of zoonotic diseases. So do, do you think that zoonotic diseases need to be more central to this, this conversation on deforestation? Or um, could this potentially stop us remaining focused on the bigger picture? Where do you stand on that? Yes, I think there is 
understandable more and more interest around the result of habitat destruction and the emergence of zoonotic disease. It's been a, it's been a feature that's um, been more and more in the news actually over several years. There was quite a lot of news around the Ebola outbreak in West Africa a few years ago, which was directly linked to habitat destruction. There was a paper published in Nature a couple of months ago showing that increasing deforestation led to uh, increases in, in malaria, and we see it with other diseases as well. I think with COVID, it's, it's also raising that awareness but I think we've also got to differentiate between where something arises from a wildlife market, which it appears, uh, at least to the best evidence today, that it did come from a wildlife market, to directly linking that to, uh, to habitat destruction. Uh, it's more, you know, there's, there's as much farmed wildlife, non-domesticated animals uh, in many parts of Asia or Africa uh, that, uh, that I think we also need to be aware of. But all of this points to just a deeper um, um, malaise, a deeper interconnection between our economy and nature. And for me, actually, the bigger picture is that this is about food supply, food security, and nature. This is about human health and planetary health and nature and the direct interconnection of all of these things. And we can't continue to have nature as just the domain of the environmental NGOs as somehow separate to us. I think part of what this crisis will show us is that deep interconnection. And I think inevitably that passes into this agenda uh, for stopping deforestation, but into lots of the other agendas around climate change, biodiversity loss more broadly. Uh, and I think we'll be looking to more and more companies to see how they can step up and work with governments, encourage governments to work and prioritize this in different ways going forward. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. That's very interesting. Thanks for sharing your thoughts on that. So um, just staying on that topic a moment, because it's something that we have been discussing a lot recently at the CGF, and we, we published a blog post on it last week um, on the occasion of Earth Day, and that is around how, how do we as an industry and, and as a member organization, how do we keep sustainability at the top of our members' priority list as as the world continues to deal with with COVID-19? In terms of, of, of the near-term response to COVID, many companies are struggling with just just how you know how to keep uh, trading right now and, mm. and many companies working with with stretched supply chains are thinking about how do we move goods, particularly food goods, how do we keep food goods moving uh, at this time of incredible disruption? Uh, and I think that absolutely is the priority uh, and, and how do we keep people safe is the priority uh, right now for, for businesses around the world. But that's in a way, that's part of how we sustain, that's how, that, that for me is a part of sustainability. How do we ensure food security? Um, in terms of the deforestation agenda, I think it's still climate change, biodiversity loss are still two of the biggest risks uh, in the medium to long term. If you look at the World Economic Forum's global risk report that came out in January, then they are two of the biggest risks that we know are going to have impacts on the economy. Mm. Infectious disease we knew was high impact, but the likelihood or, the, or knowing when that would occur was a much lower likelihood, but still a high impact. So now we see the impacts of what COVID does, and we know 
that absolutely what is most important is that we build resiliences into our systems, resilience into our supply chains. And that means that the, the, the deforestation agenda will come back to front and center of this because it's directly linked to climate change. It's directly linked mm. to biodiversity loss and something that we will, you know, that companies will need to continue to prioritize. And the last thing I would just say on this question, you know, there's more and more evidence, and we saw BlackRock come out uh, and talk about this last week as well, that the companies that are prioritizing ESG, environment, social, and governance, are now definitively those better performing companies over time. So this isn't some add-on as it has been for the last you know, decade or so. This is integral to long-term success for businesses. So those businesses that continue to prioritize a sustainability agenda are the businesses that are still going to be with us in 2030 and 2050. And they're the businesses I'm excited to be keeping working with. So um, my next question is, is a little bit different because I've noticed that on, um, on the TFA's website and on your social media accounts, you've been doing quite a lot of work in the past couple of months or maybe years actually to gather these sort of positive stories about forests um, could you share a story that you found to be particularly encouraging and that perhaps we could learn something from yeah it's a great question I love it because so much of what we see is just negative it stories is. negative yeah. views you know um, that this is all bad. And, and yet there are, there are lots of good stories. And one of my favorites is, you know, a trip I did to a palm oil plantation in the Western part of Ghana uh, last year. Uh, and there we're seeing a very sustainable palm uh, plantation run by a subsidiary of, of, of Wilmar. Um, and what's, what was really encouraging about it was, yes, there's palm oil production, but this is palm oil production in a country where palm oil is native, but the country uh, is using 250,000 tons a year of palm, but importing something like 220,000 tons of palm from, from Southeast Asia, because it's only got domestic production for about 30,000 tons. So here was an operation that was actually serving a local need, Interestingly, it's a food staple uh, in, in lots of parts of West Africa uh, and a, uh, an example where the community were deeply engaged and the community are proudly showing you how they're uh, um, producing the palm themselves and selling that then into the mill. And importantly as well for, for how this is balanced between uh, the, 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 the rivers uh, and the surrounding forest and that, that it was a it was it could be a haven for biodiversity I went for a walk in the morning and flocks of African grey parrots are flying over um, and so there's a really nice example of where a commercial plantation could be working in harmony with the local forest and in harmony with uh, the local community and so it's examples like that that, that demonstrate that this is about balancing economy social and environmental risks and 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 the, the, there are trade-offs so we'll never get it fully right mm. but these type of examples i think point the way for for the future mm. yeah thank you for sharing that one so my final question justin is is one that i ask everybody on this podcast so forgive me listeners if it is a little bit repetitive but i like it <laughs> and so it is what keeps you inspired and motivated to keep getting out of bed in the morning and keep doing the job that you're doing mm. uh 
well, I, I'm very thankful to be born a, a, an eternal optimist. And, uh, but two things, I think. One is the endless ingenuity um, and uh, ultimately the compassion of humanity. Uh, and that when we are actually in a, uh, a tight spot, we have you know, endless um, capacity to address it and to innovate uh, our way forward. And I think COVID will hopefully teach us a lot about that, but our response to the climate crisis and the biodiversity crisis, I think also uh, will be heightened and sharpened as a result of this desperate situation we're currently in. And the second is, is, is nature. You know, I, uh, I, I get endless inspiration from nature and, and seeing the renewal of life living in Europe and just you know, seeing spring uh, emerge all around us, the renewal of life again uh, for another year. Uh, gives me endless uh, optimism as well. So uh, humanity and nature. Wonderful. Thank you so much. It's great to end on such a positive note. And I just want to take the opportunity to thank you, Justin, for all your hard work on the topic and especially your your hard work behind the scenes to get our coalition up and running and looking forward to the coming months ahead as we move towards the launch. So thank you very much. Thank you, Louise. Lovely to speak to you and best of luck as you go on maternity leave. Thank you very much. If you would like to find out more about the CGF and our work on sustainability, you can visit our website at www.theconsumergoodsforum.com. If you like this episode, please do subscribe to the podcast for more episodes coming very soon. Thank you and see you next time.